Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Chris Oliver, along with Mike Weeks. Brian Curtis will be back Thursday. The PBOC is set to ease reserve requirements at some rural banks. Two of the world's leading drug companies forge agreements to reshape their businesses. And Manchester United shares rally after the football club sacks manager David Moyes. In our featured segments this morning, we'll speak about the latest director dealings and company buybacks and what they're indicating about the stock market. Joining us for that discussion is Robert Halili of Asia Insider Limited. We'll also talk about Japan's deteriorating fiscal trade account, and we'll look ahead to preliminary China manufacturing survey data, which is due out later Wednesday. Richard Jerram, the chief economist from the Bank of, of Singapore, will be joining us for that. And for our regular segment on markets, we'll speak with Alex Wong of Ample Capital. All of that coming up ahead, but first to some news. And the People's Bank of China is taking steps to ease monetary policy in a bid to boost the mainland's slowing economy. It's cutting the amount of funds rural banks must keep in reserve. From Friday, the reserve requirement rate for county-level rural commercial lenders will be trimmed by two percentage points, and the rate for county-level rural cooperative banks will be cut by half a percentage point. The PBOC said the move was meant to guide investors to increase agriculture-related investment and and further improve the capacity and level of rural financial services. U.S. U.S. stocks close just under half a percent higher this morning on a host of solid earnings, along with strength in the healthcare sector. It was the sixth straight session of advances for the S&P 500 and Nasdaq. But Mark Sebastian from Swath Wealth Advisors is cautious about the future. There is a lot of pent-up fear in the momentum stocks, in the small caps. And so when I look at the overall market and what's going on, you know, the S&P is going to outperform the NASDAQ 100 and the Russell 2000 for the time being. Mm -hmm. But I think all those indexes are going to be dragged down with the likely the NASDAQ pulling everything lower. The Dow rose 65 points to 16,514. The S&P 500 also gained two-fifths of a percent to close at 1,879 while the Nasdaq closed 1% to 4,161. Two of the world's leading drug companies have announced a series of agreements worth a total of 27 billion US dollars that will reshape their businesses. GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK, is swapping assets with Novartis and creating a new joint venture for consumer healthcare products. The BBC's Andrew Walker has the details. GSK's cancer drugs are being sold to Novartis, who in turn are selling their vaccines unit, excluding flu vaccines, to GSK. The two companies are also creating a joint venture for their consumer health operations, which will be majority controlled by the British firm. GSK would come out of the deal with cash to return to shareholders. In addition, Novartis is selling his animal health business to the American company Eli Lilly. The big news in sport this morning has also been big on financial markets. Manchester United sacking of its manager, David Moyes, sent shares in the UK football club soaring by 6% on Wall Street. Failure to qualify for the European Champions League cost Moyes dearly. That's because success or failure in the competition has repercussions in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Daily Telegraph football writer Jim White says soccer has nothing to do with the decision to axe Moyes. It is driven entirely by money. 
this decision. You have to remember that the business that Manchester United now is, is one that is entirely driven by the fickle. It needs to attract millions of supporters around the world. And the only way to do that is through success. It has all these worldwide partners. It has Malaysian potato chip manufacturer partners. It has official Singaporean tyre manufacturers. Those companies only get involved on the back of success. And so therefore, the success on the pitch is absolutely crucial to the financial well-being of the company. The Champions League has now become this huge worldwide vehicle. I mean, the Premier League is to a degree, but the Champions League is the one where you're pitching yourself against rivals like Bayern Munich, like Real Madrid, like Barcelona. And a club like Manchester United has to be in that marketplace. It has to be there carrying these brands who have paid huge amounts of money to be associated with it. And I I don't know, but I have a suspicion uh, that the timing of J.B. Moyes' departure is very instructive. It came immediately after it was mathematically impossible that Manchester United could qualify for next season's Champions League. And I suspect there was probably a clause in his contract which said, if you don't qualify, you're out. And when he signed his contract, he never thought that clause would be invoked. And Manchester United, actually within its history, has evidence of where sticking with a manager gets you through the rough times. To a degree, Alex Ferguson assumed that the same thing would happen to David Moyes, that he would be gifted the time that Ferguson himself had back in the late 1980s. But things have changed so much that there isn't such a thing as time. And I'm afraid that Manchester United are now behaving like Chelsea, like Real Madrid, like Barcelona. If you don't cut it immediately, you're out. Consumer prices in Hong Kong rose 3.9% in March year-on-year, down from 4.3% in the previous two months. Letting out the effects of all of the government's one-off relief measures, the underlying inflation rate in March was 3.6%, mainly due to a decrease in charges for packaged tours. A government spokesman said the milder increase in private flat rent levels and modest imported inflation should keep local price rises contained in the near term. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has remained unchanged for a third month at a 16-year low of 3.1%. The Secretary for Labor, Matthew Chung, said the latest jobless figures reflected the persistently tight labor market. He said the figure was expected to stay low in the near future. Quick check on the markets now in the Nikkei at the moment, up nearly 1%, 129 points higher at 14,517. Shares in Seoul up nearly half a percent, the Kospi now at 2,012. Australia's ASX 200 is up about a fifth of a percent at 5,478. On the currency markets, the euro this morning trading at 1 US dollar. 38, just under 1 US dollar, 38.1 cents. The dollar at just over 102.6 yen. The pound at 12 Hong Kong, 13 Hong Kong dollars and 4 cents. Gold trading at 1,280 US dollars, 60 cents an ounce. We welcome to uh, the program our first guest, Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So I, I'm sure you've been watching the news about uh, China Resources Power Holdings, which fell uh, 10% in yesterday's trading, the first day after news of uh, anti-corruption allegations that were leveled at the former chairman of the parent company. Uh, how are you reading this story? Oh, I think uh, the market was, uh, was, was quite calm already uh, because uh, we had um, 
uh, similar news are coming out uh, in last uh, July, I think. And uh, we had been um, sort of expecting uh, some kind of development in this in this area. So uh, that's why the market is not um, was not that panicked uh, yesterday. So um, I think uh, probably this is a good thing um, for China's companies uh, in the long term because um, that would clean out uh, many uh, malpractices and uh, and then companies would uh, act according to the uh, market will. So I think uh, this is a good thing in the long term. So are you not worried that there's other skeletons out there that could knock the share prices of some of these mainland conglomerates? Um, probably not much. I think uh, right now the the shock uh, was absorbed by the market yesterday. The turnover actually was not comparable to uh, last uh, to to last to last sell off in July. So uh, we are not um, seeing very heavy selling actually. Uh, probably the market was quiet also. But uh, I think uh, mark uh, um, investors are, are um, 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 okay for for this news, and I think uh, they they probably think. Uh, the longer run for China shares would be okay. What do you make of Weibo's successful debut on U.S. markets beginning last week and carrying through between Monday and Tuesday? Oh, I think uh, that is first of all um, because the market had been too bad uh, during the IPO, so the valuation uh, initially was a li- little bit low, and then um, uh, probably uh, uh, we, we are. I I I also think uh, we we probably would see some um, fund coming back into those uh, new uh, new economy stocks uh, or technology stocks because um, uh, the actually the 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 growth potential remains quite huge. So, what would you be buying these days? What do you like? Uh, I think Macau today would be the the the, the star performance uh, after yesterday. The Macau government revealed uh, some uh, cooperations uh, or some 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 favor asking uh, some 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 requests for the China government to 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 uh, for for them to, to further development. Uh, to further develop, so uh, that's that's why I think Macau probably would would be the star performer today. Uh, I am still buying technology. Actually, I, I think uh, probably valuation is uh, is not is not cheap, but growth uh, potential remains okay. So Macau stocks led Hong Kong higher in the previous months. In that sell-off that hit over the last few mm. weeks, we saw things knocked a bit. But has their leadership been dented in a serious way by this? Is this a leadership change or can they kind of come back? No, I think uh, they would come back. Uh, today we would see a, a quite strong rise in cow stocks, I think. And uh, because in, in Hong Kong right now, um, other blue chips are not doing too much. Uh, we are seeing uh, China shares uh, suppre- uh, uh, suppressed by the um, uh, cheaper Asia counterparts in Hong Kong. So uh, China financial stocks uh, basically uh, would not rise too much. And then uh, local blue chips actually already rising a lot uh, during last month uh, uh, because of fund flow. So that we, are have, we have not too much uh, uh, chip uh, stocks uh, in the market and probably people would look for growth. So I think um, Macau and uh, technology would uh, resume their strength. So the era that we saw in the last few months was all about this polarization. We had uh, healthcare stocks do really well, mm. internet stocks do really well. Are we now moving into a different phase where it's a bit of all boats rising or? Oh, I, I think uh, we will still be very polarized. Uh, as I've said, uh, probably China stocks uh, would be suppressed by the uh, cheaper Asia counterparts. Uh, so basically Hong Kong, um, X shares uh, would, uh, would, would not be too strong. And then, uh, 
probably we would see some appetite for risk again because uh, of the um, pickup in the uh, U.S. market again. And then uh, I think uh, uh, at the end of the day, we are looking for a fundamental and we are looking for growth. So uh, basically, uh, those uh, higher growth stocks, I think, uh, would resume their strength. So you haven't been optimistic in past visits to the program. Mm. Has your mood lifted at all? No, I, I am not optimistic uh, on China's shares. Actually, uh, right now, after the recovery um, and uh, and with the access uh, to the Asia market uh, six months later, actually they would uh, not not be strong at all because uh, the chip the, the Asia counterparts actually is much cheaper than Hong Kong, and we are seeing uh, quite a lot of selling into those um, uh, X shares which had a very cheap uh, Asia counterparts such as Ping An uh, and 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 quite coach conch, and so that's why uh, probably we would see um, China shares to underperform. All right, thank you for joining us this morning, Alex. Alex Wong, director of asset management at Ample Capital Limited. Thank you, Alex. Moving on to our next guest this morning, we have uh, Richard Jerram, the Chief Economist at the Bank of Singapore. He's joining us on the line. Good morning, Richard. Morning. So we have a a number of things happening across the region this morning. Uh, We can start perhaps with uh, China PMI data, which is a preliminary release put out by Market and HSBC. Do you think we'll see very much from these numbers that could be enlightening? Uh, Well, it's hard to see much of an improvement. I mean, the, uh, the number's been struggling for the past uh, four or five months. is well below 50. And policy support so far has really been quite uh, quite hesitant. And so we don't really see uh, any dynamic that's going to push this above, above 50 in the short term. I guess the other thing about this number is that, you know, in a land where a lot of the data is, uh, is really fairly poor quality, I think you have to focus on the PMIs as giving you a reasonably reliable read on the state of the cycle. And, and as a result, I think it is sending uh, quite a negative message uh, in terms of where the Chinese economy is heading. And w- moving on to the issue with Japan, we have uh, President Obama uh, landing in Tokyo today. I think it's the first day of several uh, in, in Japan. So they're going to be discussing many things there. One of them is the tensions between China and Japan, uh, not least uh, helped by this uh, uh, confiscation of a ship uh, by China. Uh, what do you make of the situation there, and how do you read that as affecting the region? I think this is one of the the biggest tail risks facing the region. I think if you look across the region, sure, China's got some macro problems, but I think outside of that, uh, most of the problems facing the economies in the region are, are reasonably small scale. It's whether the cycle is a little bit too weak, a little bit too strong. So we are very interested in the tail risks, and obviously the uh, the danger of some um, accidental or, or even purposeful uh, confrontation between the two largest economies is something you have to treat uh, very seriously. So, you know, presumably uh, Obama's in a fairly difficult position. They have to show uh, support for Japan, but in, in line with their with their alliance. But at the same time, uh, they don't want to give them uh, basically a free ticket so that they can be reckless. And so I think there's uh, there's a difficult balance that the U.S. needs to strike in that relationship. Richard, uh, Mr. Obama's visit comes as China, Japan, the U.S. and uh, 17 other countries have approved a charter aimed at preventing unintended military conflicts. Will that go some way to sort of lessening tensions in the region? Uh, I think the tensions go uh, far too deep um, for that. Uh, As uh, 
as you said uh, earlier, you know, there has been this uh, you know, confiscation of a ship. There's been uh, more visits to Yasukuni. I mean, the two sides uh, seem to be uh, quite happy to niggle each other. Uh, and um, it's hard to see. Uh, well, I mean, there's always the risk of uh, sort of an accidental, uh, accidental outcome. And I think, you know, generally, as we've seen in the Crimea, you know, whatever you sign up to, there's always going to be some sort of short-term uh, higher priority uh, that is going to override uh, these sort of charter charter agreements. Has the U.S. position, you mentioned the Crimea there, has the U.S. position been weakened by what's happened in Crimea and eastern Ukraine, that its ability to project its power is now seen as less than it was? Well, I think that this is one of the things people will be trying to uh, extract from Obama as he travels the region. Of course, it's not just uh, Japan, but the Philippines is going to be very interested in this issue as well. That there was a there was a red line in Syria. Um, I think Crimea, to be fair, there was nothing the U.S. was ever going to do about about Crimea. Um, but I think the uh, the U.S. allies in the region will be looking for reassurance that uh, the U.S. is not uh, turning inwards and that this pivot to Asia that they've talked about in the past few years uh, is is not uh, basically fading away into uh, into more of a uh, internal looking. Uh, U.S. because uh, you know, clearly with a more aggressive expansionary China that we've seen uh, in the recent years as it projects its economic power into a, a more aggressive foreign policy, uh, you can understand that uh, many of the smaller economies uh, in particular are going to be worried by this environment. So these tensions are coming to a head just as there's been a batch of bad data out of Japan. Uh, most recently, uh, for the month of March, the trade deficit widened to 1.427 trillion yen, uh, up from 1.13 trillion yen in February. Uh, this is a—it's an indication of a deteriorating trade picture. Uh, what do you make of that? Is uh, do you expect the Japan to continue to suffer the wide trade deficits? Yeah, I think some of the trade picture in the first quarter was uh, related to the rise in the uh, consumption tax that we've just seen. A lot of. Uh, imports are being sucked in to meet this surge in demand, and I think some uh, production was being diverted to domestic uh, demand as well, and that would have uh, reduced exports. So I think some of it is temporary. Um, some of it uh, will also be reversed if they ever get around to starting up some of the nuclear plants again and, and reducing their fuel import bill. Um, but it's, it, it does seem fairly clear that uh, Japan has lost competitiveness in many of its traditional industries and so it's very hard to see it going back to any significant surpluses even when some of these uh, temporary factors fade away of course i suppose in their favor they do have this advantage of becoming something of a, a rentier economy uh, where the uh, the income from their overseas assets is now uh, generating more than two uh, percent of gdp every year uh, so that obviously gives them a little bit more flexibility than they perhaps had in the past uh, but it's, it's fairly clear that uh, a lot of the japanese industry has either moved offshore or, or shifted to to different countries uh, and isn't, isn't coming back again. So given that things are a bit soft in Japan, do you expect the Bank of Japan to do any more extraordinary measures? Well, the Bank of Japan seems a little bit like the ECB in that they, they seem to be hanging on and hoping that they, they don't have to do more. Uh, I don't see how they're going to hit their inflation target under current policy settings. Uh, so I think they do need to do more. Uh, exactly when they might come to that uh, realization is pretty hard to call. Uh, end of April would be a good opportunity for them because they have this six-monthly policy meeting when they update their economic forecasts. 
uh, if they uh, accept, they're not going to hit the inflation targets, and, and reports overnight suggest uh, that they're not prepared to do that. But if they were to do that, then that would give them the chance to ease policy again. Uh, but I think at the moment, uh, they're, they have a fairly low credibility uh, inflation forecast, and I think they do need to ease, ease policy if they're going to push inflation higher. I basically think they need to have the yen, uh, 110, 120, uh, if they're going to have much chance of, of hitting that target. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the program, Richard Jerram, uh, Chief Economist at the Bank of Singapore. Share purchases by company directors and by those companies buying back their own stock are running at unusually high levels. The purchasing activity is the strongest seen since 2008. That's when markets were recovering from the global crisis, as we all know. Oddly, the behavior uh, of stock buying at this time is unusual, uh, as we normally get a bit quieter heading into summer. So joining us on the program right now is Robert Halili of Asia Insider. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Glad to be here. So what do you make of the heaviest insider buying in, in a number of weeks and an anomaly in several years, I take it? Well, it's very surprising. Uh, usually it's a very quiet period before Easter. But last week, uh, I noticed the directors pumped in more than half a billion buying uh, shares in their companies, which was more than double in the previous week. Now, that was particularly high last week because there were only four trading days. Now, the high activity in the past five weeks that I've seen is actually not that unusual right now because directors are coming off one of the most bullish quarters in the past three years. Um, In the first quarter of this year, they've recorded over 1,400 purchases worth $3 billion. Now, in the first quarter of 2013 and 2012, directors only averaged 900 purchases worth $2 billion. So you can just imagine the amount of activity that's been happening since January of this year. So these gauges, it's, it's more like a, a measure of social phenomenon. We don't really know that these directors are smarter than the average investor. But what does that tell you when you see them buying like this? Is this a sort of reliable indicator that we should also be buying as well? Well, you have to take into account that directors, particularly high-level executives, these are guys that have access to the company's books. They know what's happening within their firm terms of earnings prospects and in the uh, in their sector in general and most likely in the economy the fact that i've seen a lot of buying especially in the property sector means that stocks particularly property stocks in the past year have been oversold and have been racking up purchases in their company shares in the past three to four months and you mentioned uh, in our discussion earlier that some uh, tycoons have a better track record than others. Who, who are the ones that you watch when it comes to property? Well, the big three definitely would be Lee Shao Key of Henderson Land, the Quarks of Sun K Properties, and the biggest one of all would be Lee Kaching of Chung Kong and Hutchison Wampoa. Now, Lee Kaching, the last time he bought was in April of last year. It's a good indication of how well these guys timed their purchase. Lee Kaching bought shares of Hutchison at $79 in April last year. It's now trading at about, I think, at about 107 or 112. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Chung Kong, he bought around $92. And right now it's at 127, I believe. So definitely these shares rise after. Now, Li Shaoqi, on the other hand, the share price of Henderson Line goes up by an average of 7% three months after he buys shares. Now, these are based on 1,000 
acquisitions he's recorded since 1993. So it's more than a st- statistical anomaly. You reckon that we can trust uh, some of the pattern that we're seeing here? Yes. The best thing is these are not day trading ideas. Whenever these tycoons buy, you have to hold them for at least three to six months. Like for the Quox, for example, on average, the share price of Sanuke has risen 14% six months after they buy shares. And they recorded over 500 purchases since 1993. So we buy and we hold for at least a medium-term type of trade, I take it? Yes. What what other sectors do you like here apart from property? Well, I like consumer goods manufacturers, uh, any global retailers. A lot of directors have been buying in the past quarter. I guess they're basically – we're anticipating a rebound in the U.S. economy, which is happening now. You're seeing good numbers from the U.S. And a lot of uh, uh, retail stocks have actually rebounded from the lows of last year. And I, I, I think what's interesting as well is that there's a lot of bearishness about China, but actually when we see the directors doing the opposite, uh, maybe it shows that you know, there's a fundamental uh, pickup in the economy that we're not, we're not seeing in other data. Well, one thing I've noticed, I've been tracking directors since 1992, and whenever the market falls significantly, retail uh, investors will run away. But directors will swoop in and buy the shares at very cheap prices. This happened during the Asian currency crisis in 1998, the uh, September 2011 terrorist attacks, the SARS crisis in 2003, and most recently the 2008 global meltdown. Now, to give you an indication how well they could signal a uh, rebound in the market, five of Hong Kong's biggest tycoons, which is Li Ka-shing, the Quarks, and, uh, and uh, Li Shaoqi, they actually bought shares shortly before the government pumped in $120 billion in the stock market in 1998. Mm-hmm. And we all know what happened to the market after mm-hmm. the government pumped mm-hmm. in that much money. Was, is there ever an, an example where the share buying was a false indicator? Oh, definitely. Uh, it happens with directors. It happens with... Um, with companies like the biggest example I have was Peregrine Investment. This was back during the Asian currency crisis. They were actually buying back heavily in their company's shares. Now, usually when a company's buy back, they must have, they must be cash rich and debt free. Peregrine at that time had given out a huge loan to a taxi company in Indonesia. And they were actually looking for a white knight to save the company. Now, during that time, they were buying back more than 25 million U.S. worth of shares in the market. Now, a lot of people didn't know that. So what happened was they took the buyback as a positive signal, but on the other hand, they're looking for someone to save the company. And we all know that Peregrine actually filed for bankruptcy three months later. Robert, just to close out question here, what's your best trading idea, given that you have a whole list of uh, companies here where we've seen buyer uh, insider buying? Well, in terms of I always stick with the tycoons simply because – they have knowledge within their companies, the sector, and they also have, I'm pretty much sure, close connections with the government. And people like Li Shaoqi, the Quarks, they're buying right now. Uh, uh, Henderson Land at around $44 per share. The Quarks are around 95 okay. Now, uh, Okay, Robert. Sorry, we've got to cut it a bit short. Sorry about that. That's Robert Halili, uh, Managing Director of Asia Insider. Thank you for coming on great. the program. You're welcome. Just before we go, another quick check of the markets. Nikkei off its highs now. It's at uh, up 124 points of 14,513. Other markets in the region also higher. In the weather, it's going to be cloudy with a few rain patches today. Top temperature about 24 degrees. Currently, it's 22 degrees. And Samantha Butler with the news. RT8K News. 
The U.S. and countries bordering the Pacific have reached agreement on a code of conduct at sea that's designed to reduce the chance of accidental clashes. The agreement was reached at a meeting held in the eastern mainland city of Qingdao. Radio Australia's Tom Maddox reports. More than 20 countries in the Western Pacific region unanimously agreed to the framework, including the US, China, Japan, the Philippines and Malaysia. The Code of Conduct is designed to reduce the chance of accidental clashes and to improve communication between ships in crowded sea lanes. While tensions are running high between China and neighbouring countries over disputed islands, the Chinese Navy says the new agreement will have no impact on conduct in the East and South China Seas. The agreement is not legally binding. Ukraine's acting president Alexander Turchinov has called on the country's security agencies to relaunch what he called anti-terrorist measures in eastern Ukraine. Mr Turchinov said the brutally tortured bodies of two men have been found outside the town of Sloviansk, which is under the control of pro-Russian militants. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg reports. In a statement on the website of Ukraine's parliament, Mr Torchinov said that terrorists had taken Donetsk region hostage and had begun to torture and to kill Ukrainian patriots. Crimes, he said, which had been carried out with the full support of Russia. Mr Torchinov announced that two bodies had been discovered near the town of Slavyansk. He claimed they'd been brutally tortured. One of the victims is said to be a local politician from the town of Gorlovka. The American Vice President Joe Biden, who's in Kiev, has said Russia must stop talking.